When I was in high school, I was that weird girl who carried a video camera everywhere I went. All day at school, it was like an extension of my own body. It was always there, on the ready, in case anything interesting happened. Of course, nothing that interesting ever did happen to me. I was a very straight-laced teenager in a very average suburban high school. And I was also remarkably oblivious to the debauchery of my fellow classmates. <laughs> to give you an example, it was near the end of my senior year that I was shocked to learn that some kids in high school drink alcohol and do drugs. I thought that the worst thing anybody at my school ever did was sometimes make out with each other in the halls of school, which I thought was completely inappropriate. But then I took a class called Intro to Filmmaking, and my first assignment was to make a video about beauty and how everything in life is beautiful, which I don't know if I really believe that or not, but to my credit, I really challenged myself on it. I thought, okay, if everything is beautiful, you're going to have to film some things that you really don't like. And so I became that weird girl in high school who carried a video camera everywhere, who was always filming random teenagers making out with each other in the halls of school. And then... Because I needed the footage for my video project, suddenly this thing I found so objectionable before became something that I would get really excited about seeing. Not in a weird way. <laughs> if there is a not-in-a-weird-way version of that. But high school is a strange time. Everyone learns in their own ways. Some people are auditory learners. Some people are visual learners. Some people learn by just having a really creepy hobby. <laughs> and there's a story that I usually tell. It's actually the story that I started telling stories on stage in order to tell. And um, over the course of a few years, it has you know, kind of grown. I keep thinking of more and more things I want to say. And recently, it sort of evolved into this big, crazy, multimedia solo show that I just presented for the first time last week on Thursday, and we'll do again next Thursday. This is a Thursday thing for me for some reason. And um, it's about really three main things which are simultaneously true and which simultaneously influence each other. Uh, one is that I really love movies. Two is that I really love falling in love. And three is that when I was 24, I was diagnosed with a type of cancer called Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, these things don't naturally go together, but in my story and in my life, these things are inextricably tied. Um, and I'm not going to tell you much about the love story tonight, but my show is called True Love and Other Non-Communicable Diseases, so... You can learn all about the love story if you go to my show. Tonight I want to talk about the other two things, um, which is, is this love of movies that I had and sort of how it influenced my journey with cancer. Um, 
I, I think particularly it was that, that class that I took in high school and particularly that assignment that I was given to make a video about beauty that eventually, later, would save my life. And that is because uh, in between graduating from high school and eventually getting cancer, there are several years here where life is just like not going well. Um, and it looks, it looks like it's going well. I moved to LA to start a career in television and I shoot a couple TV pilots and I'm developing a television series with a company I, I very much respect at the time. Uh, but I am miserable all the time. Miserable in that way that, that, that is only possible when you're, when you're looking at your life and, and thinking, wow, everything is, is going well. Why am I still so unhappy? And I was stressed all the time. And I was anxious all the time, too. So I got these terrible stomach aches and, and, and chest pains. Sometimes it hurt so much that I, I couldn't move for hours. I would just sit on the couch and couldn't move. But what is constant crippling pain, really, if not a symptom of proper dedication to the cause? <laughs> the cause at hand was somewhat ambiguous. Trying to be good enough for something, particularly when you're not exactly sure what that something is, can take a lot of efforts. I hated that age-old advice that writers should write what you know. I didn't like myself, and I was terrified by the idea that anyone might look at anything I wrote and see anything that was true about me inside of it. So I ended up working on a lot of these like really uh, bad, macho, frat guy comedies, uh, which is ironic because I'm like this girl who's like never drank before and like went through like a, a year of college before I dropped out. So not a lot of experience there, but that's the demographic I'm going for for some reason. And I build this whole life around myself that has nothing to do with me. And I do that for a few years uh, until I'm home at Christmas um, one year to visit my family in Tigard. And um, my family notices that I have this large lump growing on the side of my neck, which seems like something that you should maybe, like, maybe actually ask a doctor about. So I, I do. I don't have a doctor in, in, in Portland anymore, but my dad tells me to go see his doctor. And so I go to his doctor, and he does a CT scan. And on the day before Christmas, he calls me to say... Um, that they want to do a biopsy um, in two days. So the day after Christmas, I'm back to do a biopsy on this thing on my neck. And then I'm waiting over the holidays. They're all on vacation, so it's like an extra long wait, waiting for the test results um, to come back in. And when that call comes, as I answer the phone... I also instinctively pull out my camera and prop it on the table across from me and film myself hearing for the first time that I have cancer. I knew I needed to do that before I knew 
the official diagnosis, before I knew the treatment plan, before anything, I knew that for me, the only way I was going to get through this was to turn my camera on and turn this into a project. After that, I filmed everything even remotely related to my cancer. And on the days when I wasn't too sick, it would give me something to do. I would sit up in bed and I would edit together these videos into some kind of a cohesive storyline. And I don't know if you're really allowed to do that or if anybody really wanted me to. And so I didn't tell anyone at first, and I got very good at these sort of guerrilla film tactics, like turning the camera app on my phone and then just sort of crossing my arms in such a way that no one would assume they're being filmed. (laughs) I got very good at this in the hospital and around my parents, who probably would not have agreed to being on camera, in videos that I later posted to the internet. The first video I posted on the internet is a video um, that I'm secret cameraing of my, my parents and I meeting my doctor for the first time and discussing my treatment plan. Uh, and he mentions I'm going to have to get my bone marrow tested, which will involve taking a needle and sticking it into my tailbone and then sucking out some piece of whatever is in your tailbone. And I am horrified during this part of the conversation and not at all excited about the idea of dropping trow and having a needle stuck in my butt. (laughs) But a few days later, it occurs to me that it would be really edgy and cool for my video series (laughs) to have actual footage of me on the table, pants down, getting poked by this needle. Again, not sure if you're allowed to do that. So I ask the nurses if I can listen to music on my iPod during the procedure. Put the headphones on. Hold my phone in such a way that I figure everyone will think I'm just listening to music. And when the needle goes in, it really hurts. And the nurse offers that I can, like, set down my phone and hold her hand if I need something to grip onto. And I'm just like, no, this is good. (laughs) Once the procedure is over, I ease myself uncomfortably into a chair to wait for my first round of chemotherapy to begin. And as I sit there, I review this footage that I now have of me crying incredibly drugged up, freaked out, doctors crowded around my butt. (laughs) And I realize, as I look at my face, that this is the most vulnerable I have ever seen myself. And it's kind of hard to watch. And then I think, that was so worth it. This is such good footage. This is great drama, people. I should definitely keep making videos about having cancer. And so I do. And I continue to post them on the internet. And um, over time, you know, first it's just my friends and family watching them, but eventually other people that I've never heard of before start finding my videos on the internet. And, and start leaving me comments saying things like, you're so brave, and it's amazing how well you handle stress. 
And I keep thinking, that does not describe my personality at all. I am terrible with stress, especially, you know, in, in my life before this moment, back when I was living in L.A., everything that I did, everything I said was just constant days of, of agony before and after. I just, I just lived in this constant state of anxiety. But now, making these videos kept me at a distance from the things that were happening to me. I didn't feel like it was me going through those things. I just thought about them as the hoops you got to jump through if you want to make a documentary about what it's like to have cancer. And suddenly it was a lot like back in high school, making videos about the beauty of something that I didn't like. I found that even cancer could be filtered through this lens of how do I make this entertaining and engaging and, at times, beautiful. And it was. Because when we're channeling our stress into healthy places, we can spend more time thinking about the things that really matter to us. But it was no picnic either. When people ask me, what was the worst part of having cancer? Um, I have answers. Uh, chemotherapy is in incredibly inconvenient. Uh, <laughs> the worst symptom in my mind um, that I still think on is the, just really the worst feeling I have ever felt um, is, the, is the, these mouth sores. Uh, that, that one gets when one is pumping toxic chemicals into one's veins. Um, it's weird. It gives you these horrible mouth sores. And, um, I mean, it, they're, they're, they're so bad, I, I, I couldn't eat or drink anything for days. It was excruciatingly painful. And every experience I have ever had in my entire life tells me that, like, if something is on fire, like, put water on it, and it'll probably be better. Um, but, but no... My mouth felt like it was literally on fire, and if I drank water, which every impulse in my body told me to do, it would just make the fire more on fire for days. So I couldn't eat or, or drink, and so I would get tired and, and dizzy and weak and disoriented and, 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 and just on fire. Eventually, my doctors prescribed me something called magic mouthwash, which is supposed to numb your, your mouth enough so that it doesn't hurt when you eat or drink while you have these mouth sores. Um, the catch is, to be able to put mouthwash in your mouth, it has to go in your mouth, which is very painful. Um, so the first time I'm prescribed this magic mouthwash, I'm like psyching myself up for this. Um, and I'm like very scared because I know it's going to be painful. Um, I, I want to tell you that the most I've ever loved my mother, maybe in my entire life, is in this moment where she's now like totally bought into this video series idea. Um, and I'm like standing there with the magic mouthwash and I'm about to like swig this mouthwash for the first time. And she's like, wait, do you want me to film this? 
I was like, you get me. I've waited my whole life to feel like my mom gets me. It's totally in that moment. It didn't last, um, but... <laughs> but I still think of this shining moment. Um, and, and it makes me just like still, I feel so much love for her because I know, um, being, being the mother of, of, of your daughter who has cancer, I mean, that's, it's got to be a horrible experience. I think that she was in, in, on, on many levels having a, a worse experience than I was having. Um, and, and she was really being a good sport about it. Um, I'm like still making this like sunshine. The worst feeling I ever felt is a cute story about my mom. Um, so, but no, I mean, when people, when people ask me what, what, what was the, the, the worst part emotionally or mentally, I, I, I don't really have a good answer because I had a really effective coping mechanism. I wasn't sad about my cancer Weirdly, cancer was kind of the best thing that had ever happened to me in a long time. Because like I said, when I was in L.A., I was so unhappy. I was so anxious. And it was more more than anxiety. I, I, I suffered from chronic, severe depression. And I did not have a strong support system in LA, I felt alone a lot. I suffered from just constant suicidal thoughts, which really, I mean, were literally constant. Like, I had to very actively, deliberately keep myself distracted all day. I had to distract myself because if I allowed myself to have an idle thought, that thought was going to be about how I wanted to kill myself. And then I got cancer. And this amazing thing happened where suddenly I wanted to be alive. For the first time in years, I like really wanted to live. And because I had a physical ailment instead of a mental, emotional one that no one else could see, I was encouraged by doctors and and by my community to get help and, and, and do self-care and, and take time for myself and all of these things that were, were foreign concepts to me before that time, things that I would never have done. And that's not usually a part of the story that I tell uh, because surviving cancer is a good arc uh, we, we, we feel good about that story. I feel good about telling that story. But in truth, I, I, I really, I feel like my depression was always a greater threat to my life than cancer ever was. And I tell you this tonight, um, because you're here so you're you're probably going to hear some some challenging stories. You may have some challenging stories of your own. And and a, and a behavior that I noticed when I was sick 
uh, was that when I spoke to my family or friends, I, I, I would say, like, how's your day? How are you doing? And they would do this thing where they would go, oh, don't worry. It's nothing as bad as what you're going through. And that's, like, not really fair, you know? I, I, I don't think that we should compare pain. I don't think any one person's pain is better than any other person's pain. I think that if you feel pain, that experience is valid. And if you feel pain, you should tell someone how you feel. Because being a human is really hard. And, and, and struggling is a part of life. And it doesn't end when you beat a disease or if you get a job or if you fall in love. Struggling is just, just part of the package deal. But to be human is to be part of a community. And we have to be there for each other. Nobody watches my videos anymore now that I don't have cancer. Nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> But I have this great memory of probably like a year after I was out of treatment. Uh, I'm five years out of treatment now, by the way. I'm doing great. Uh, so like super no one cares anymore. But um, when I was a year out of treatment, I still like logged on to YouTube sometimes. And I like got this comment one day from this random person who'd never heard of me before and had clearly never watched any of my other videos because um, it was just like one like far down. Like I have one where I like am cured, but they just watched a random different one and they left this comment where they said, I believe in you. You can get through this. And it, it made me really happy because they they don't know that I am fine and that I, I already don't have cancer anymore. But in this, in, this, in this grander, more important way that they have no idea about, they're right. I can get through anything. Thank you.